Hi, this is Pastor Austin from Connection Church. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our services, you can go to ConnectionNYC.com or check us out at ConnectionNYC on Instagram. Hope you enjoy it and hope to see you soon. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Connection Church. We are so excited that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. It is an exciting time to be at Connection Church. As you guys will see, I was talking to John earlier. I said, hey, the hosting job is getting rather complex because there are just so many things to announce. There's so much stuff that's going on here and that we're really excited about happening. Uh, You guys will hear a lot about that stuff in the announcements later. But just know if you're here, if it's your first time here, um, that you are here in an exciting, exciting time. So um, we have been going through uh, a couple of different series that started with this series that we called The Church. And in that series, what we did is we came up with the definition for what the church is. Now, it's not an all-encompassing definition, but what we decided was Uh, The church is a body of believers or followers of Christ that does three different things. Do you guys remember what those three things were? I know you all do, so you can just nod. Yes, of course we do. Yeah, we said that a church is a body of believers that prays, teaches, and worships. Okay, so we've done a sermon series on prayer. We've done a sermon series on teaching. So I will let you guess what sermon series we're doing now. Worship, right? Yeah, we're doing a sermon series on worship. And just like if you've been here and you've heard me uh, preach on anything, at one time I think we uh, defined uh, like a three-letter word. I can't remember what that word is off the top of my head, but I like defining words. And so one of the definitions that I found that I thought was pretty fitting and pretty accurate of worship was that worship is the act of declaring to God His worth, affirming who He is, and what he has done, and responding to him in praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and awe. And so for me, I thought, man, what a great definition. What we're going to do today is we're going to walk through what worship is, and we're going to break down some common misconceptions about worship. And we will kind of refer back to this definition. It'll be pretty pretty critical as we walk through. So if you would turn to Luke chapter 7. If you have a physical Bible, you can turn. If you have a digital Bible, you can tap and scroll. Uh, If you want to go to connection.family and click on worship at the bottom, uh, the the, uh, scripture will be there for you. If you have your own version, that's fine as well. Lots of ways to access the scripture. Uh, In Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked him, him being Jesus, to eat with him. And he, Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his, Jesus' feet, and anointed them with the ointment. So we see here a woman of the city who was a sinner. She hears about Jesus in the house of a Pharisee, someone who would have been known to publicly criticize or belittle this woman. And she says to herself, regardless of where Jesus is, regardless of if he's in this place that I know is not necessarily safe for me uh, mentally, emotionally, maybe even physically, I have to see 
Jesus. And so she goes to see him. And she doesn't say, oh man, if only Jesus was at the temple. I'm trying to keep a tight schedule today. And you know, if he's at the temple, I was already going to be walking by the temple later. And actually it's safer for me to to worship Jesus in the temple than it would be for anywhere else. Um, So it's just too bad he's not at the temple. Maybe I'll catch him another time. No, she doesn't care about how appropriate it is for her worship. She doesn't care about how much danger it puts her in. She goes to worship Jesus because she knows that she needs Jesus. She knows that he's in a place where she could access him, and so she does access him, regardless of where it was. She seeks Jesus to serve him as an affirmation and an acknowledgement of this understanding that she had. The understanding she had was really about who Jesus was and who he needed to be in her life. You see, she was a sinner, right? It says this woman was a woman of the city who was a sinner, and she recognized that she needed to bring her worship to Jesus so that he could heal her, right? And so as she goes to Jesus, rather than shying away from him or creating excuses as to why she shouldn't go see him, she goes to him, and rather than asking to be healed, rather than saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need you to do something in my life, the very first thing she does is she offers her worship to him. She offers a sacrifice of her, her status, of this alabaster flask of, of ointment. She, she gets down and humbly serves him by washing his feet as a response to who Jesus is, not who she is. See, her focus wasn't on who she was. Her focus wasn't on like, I'm a sinner and I need to hurry and get to Jesus so he can take care of what I need. She said, I'm a sinner and I know I need Jesus and I'm going to go serve him with my worship because I know I need Jesus in my life. We recently as a family went to our first Yankees game and it was a really great time, but it ended a little abruptly um, because Colby wasn't feeling very well. Um, But as we took our seats, there was a lot of energy in the stadium. It wasn't opening day, but it was opening weekend. And it was a beautiful, beautiful day for baseball. And if you've ever been to a sporting event, especially at a baseball game and and basketball games are where I I like vividly remember hearing this the most, there's like a lot of energy. There's a lot of music playing. It's like, get up, get hyped, get ready for the game, keep the energy level up. So at the start of the game, everybody's ready. And the music's not necessarily there for you to interact with the music, other than just like allowing it to keep your energy up and get ready for the game. But as this music was playing, we turn over and we look at Sawyer, and the dude is just getting it. I mean, he is dancing as hard as he would in the living room in front of like everyone in our section, just, just getting down. And Haley goes, what are you doing? And he said, uh, dancing. Like... What, there's music on. What else would I do? I'm going to dance. I don't care. Regardless of where I am, if I hear music, I'm going to dance. As if to say, duh, why aren't you dancing? So Sawyer's willingness to dance, as we know by this story, is not bound by location. He will dance on the sidewalk, in the apartment, at the playground, and apparently in front of a bunch of strangers at the Yankees game. In the same way that Sawyer's dance moves are not bound by location. Our worship is not bound by location either. A lot of times when we think of worship, we think of that as something that happens within our church place, within a church building, amongst other believers. And that is a form 
of worship. But what's so incredible and so amazing about serving Jesus is our worship doesn't have to be bound by location. And so if you're writing something down, this common misconception we're going to break down first is that worship has to happen in a church. It doesn't. Your first point will be worship is not bound by location. Worship is not bound by location. Even in the midst of hostile territory, this woman of the city who was a sinner worshiped Jesus. In the house of someone who was not her friend, within a situation that would have been difficult for her to enter without having lots of anxiety and fear, she went and she worshiped. If we go a little further in Luke chapter 7, we see in, in verse 39 this reaction from the Pharisee of this worship. You see, the Pharisee must have also been bound by the mindset that worship needed to happen in a specific location and maybe even by specific people. Because the Pharisee then says, uh, in verse 39, it says, The Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, and he said to himself, If this man, if Jesus were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And in verse 40, it says, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And I love this about Jesus's ministry. If we could just sidebar for just a second. Most of the time when Jesus teaches somebody something, he doesn't tell them. He asks them a question and he allows them to answer and he allows them to process what it is they're actually thinking. Because a lot of what we think as followers of Jesus has been shaped by someone else because we don't take the time to dig into Scripture and to spend time in prayer and, and time in worship that's not bound by location enough to know what we really feel about any given situation. And so Jesus doesn't say, you should feel this way. He asks a question. He tells a story, and he asks a question. In verse 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. The Pharisee takes this opportunity to point out the flaws of the woman while she is mid-worship. And Jesus responds by posing this scenario and asking a question, and he uses the opportunity to teach a powerful truth about the nature of worship. Because the woman had much debt, she showed much more worship toward Jesus. When Haley and I had first moved to New York, we'd maybe been here six months to a year, possibly. We didn't have our own car yet. We'd actually gotten rid of those. Then we had kids, and we were like, you know, you can make it in New York with maybe one kid without a car if you stay hyper-local, but when you start having multiple kids, it's hard to do things without a vehicle, right? And so we eventually got our own vehicle, but before that, we actually borrowed the vehicle of a friend for like a week while they were out of town. Uh, a lot of you know Larry and Lindsay Mayberry. We had borrowed their vehicle, and one of the evenings I had parked the vehicle, and it was a nice day. It's one of those New York days where it was like 75 out, like not a cloud in the sky, it was just beautiful. I was listening to the radio, windows cracked and rolled down, driving around, I park it, and it was one of those New York nights where a storm rolls in, and I had completely forgotten to roll the windows up. 
okay? And when I say it started raining, it wasn't like one of those rains where you're like squinting your eyes and looking at things in the background to see like little bits of rain. You're like, oh, that's cute. I think it's raining a little bit. No, no. This was one of those where you're questioning like, will I be safe on the third floor of my apartment by the time the rain ends, right? It was a downpour. I didn't even think about the windows being down. I got out of my apartment the next day and I went to the car and immediately I was like, oh no, because there was raindrops all over the car and the windows, they weren't cracked like this. They were like, there was like a fairly decent gap, like probably not enough for somebody to put a hand in, but enough for a lot of rain to get in. So the car wasn't stolen, but it had a massive amount of, I mean, I've never, there's never been a car this soggy, I guarantee you, unless it drove into a lake. Like, it was terrible. So I immediately started drying everything that I could and like getting the floor mats, like sc literally scooping water out. There was like standing water in the vehicle. Like it had soaked into, it was bad. So I called Larry and Lindsay and I was like, hey, um, I messed up and I forgot to roll the windows up in your car and it rained so much and I dried it out and I think it's going to be okay. I've done all the work to, to try and fix it, but just please let me know if you have any problems with it. I am so sorry. And Larry and Lindsay said, oh man, I'm so sorry that happened, but it's just a car and it's going to be okay. And I thought, oh, that was amazing because it wasn't like I forgot to put gas in the car when I returned it to them, right? Oh, man, hey, sorry, here's 15 bucks. Let me, let me you know, make sure that happens for you. No, no. I turned their car into a swimming pool, right? So I was, like, very frightened. But I called Larry and Lindsay, and they immediately forgave me. And how much more grateful was I that I was forgiven because of how much I was forgiven, right? If I would have said, hey, I forgot to put gas in the car, and they're like, oh, yeah, no big deal, I wouldn't have thought anything about it because that's not a big deal. But when something happens in our life that is a huge deal and someone forgives us and says, hey, that's actually not a big deal. I can take care of it. What a relief, right? I had been forgiven of much and so had this woman. And her response was worship, right? She had a lot to bring to Jesus that she was confident that he would forgive. And she's grateful that he has the power to do this. And she just responds immediately in worship. So not only is worship not bound by location, it's not restricted by our past. Worship is neither bound by location, nor is it restricted by our past. Anyone with any past at all can bring their worship to Jesus in any location. The Pharisee thought, oh, if this guy was actually Jesus, if he was actually a prophet, if he was actually the Son of God, if he was actually all these things that he says that he is, wouldn't he know that she's a sinner? And wouldn't he know that she doesn't need to touch him? Because whatever she's cleaning off his feet, I guarantee you she's dirtier than that stuff that she's cleaning off. And if he was a prophet, he would know that. And Jesus said, well, wait a minute. I am who I say that I am. And if I have the ability to forgive, would it be better that I forgive a little or would it be better that I forgive a lot? And the Pharisee said, you know what? I guess if you forgave a lot. And he said, yeah, you're right. So Jesus teaches this Pharisee in this moment by asking a question about the situation that it is better to be forgiven of a lot and it doesn't matter what your past is, Jesus has the ability to cleanse that past. In verse 44, 
It says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, the Pharisee. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that he even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, the Pharisee had done work in his life that he had deemed holy and righteous. And because of this, he was less responsive to the presence of Jesus. You see, often when we go to church and we do the standard amount of, of worship that we think is worship, and that's all there is to worship, and we do these kind acts of service in our life, and we get in our head that, yes, we need the mercy of Jesus, we need the grace, we need salvation through Jesus, but we don't need as much as that guy does. I need Jesus a little bit, but that guy needs Jesus a lot. Have you seen him? If you knew who he was, you would know how much that guy needs Jesus. And the whole point of what's being said is that's actually reverse thinking. Jesus is saying the person who is further from me actually gets what salvation is about better than you do. Because when you're forgiven of a lot, you understand the, the gravity of the situation. You understand the value that I'm bringing. And when you're forgiven a little, you're only a little bit thankful. And the reality is, is neither the Pharisee or the woman needed Jesus any more or less than the other person, right? The Pharisee didn't need Jesus more or less than the woman needed Jesus and vice versa. We all need Jesus the same amount. And so what Jesus is getting at is this. He's saying she's actually in a better spot because she's going to understand the value that I bring better than you. And because she understands that value better, she has not ceased kissing my feet. You gave me zero kisses. This woman has kissed my feet since I walked in. You didn't even put ointment or oil on my head. She put ointment and oil on my feet. You offered me no water for my feet. She cried tears and then used those tears to wipe my feet with her hair. So because she has been forgiven of much, she actually understands worship better than you do. The Pharisee had incorrectly allocated his focus and his worship because it was obvious to some degree he had left worship for himself. You see, when we come to Jesus and we think that by our actions we've made ourselves closer to Jesus because you know, we're a good person or we're, we're closer to heaven because we serve people, we are leaving a little bit of worship for ourselves when all of our worship belongs to Jesus and no one else. The woman understood the nature and the severity of her debt. So she left no worship for herself and gave it all to who? She gave it all to Jesus. 
The more we give to Jesus, the more we attribute to Jesus, the more we will worship him. So your last point is this. Worship happens as a response to Jesus. Worship can happen anywhere, anytime, from anyone, as long as it is a response to Jesus. If it's a response to Jesus and or anything else, it is not true worship. Remember what our definition says. It's the act of declaring to God his worth, affirming who he is and what he has done and responding to him. Worship is responding to our God. It's giving him praise. It's declaring out loud or internally to ourselves his worth. It's affirming in our life who he is and what he's done. And it's responding to him in praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and awe. It's literally looking at what God has done in our life and who God is and saying, wow, that is incredible. You are so much better than I am. Let me just but touch your feet. If I can just cry tears and clean your feet off, man, what an experience for me because I get to come into contact with the one who deserves all of my worship. So it's my desire that as a church, individually and holistically, as Connection Church and as the large church that follows Jesus, that we would recognize apart from Jesus' work in our life, we can accomplish nothing. And in that realization that we'll give everything that we have to Jesus, everything, we won't just wait to come to worship on Sunday morning. We'll worship in every single thing that we do. We will carry Jesus with us and, and remind ourselves that as a response to him and who he is in our life, we will worship in everything that we're given. We should worship Jesus wherever we are, regardless of our past, good or bad. And as a response to the work that he's doing in our life. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the way that you love us. We're grateful that you have a plan for our life, God, that you're working in and around every aspect of our life. God, we're grateful for your son, Jesus, for his sacrifice and the ability to approach you, God, to be cleansed by Jesus. Lord, we ask that all of our worship, it belongs to Jesus, the King of kings. And we ask that we would bring that worship to him. Lord, that we would save no worship for ourselves. That we would understand the responsibility that we have to spend time in scripture and, and praying and the responsibility that we have to come and worship together corporately on Sunday and how those things play a role in us developing a stronger relationship with Jesus. God, all those things are important. But none of those things gives us the ability to need Jesus any less. None of those things gives us the ability to worship ourselves. They only allow us to draw closer and nearer to the one who deserves all of our honor God, he, he deserves all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. I pray that we would bring our worship to the feet of Jesus in our work with our friends, during challenges, with people who are hard to love, 
God, use worship and everything that we do to transform the community of Astoria, to transform our church, God. And from the inside out, may we take that worship again in everything that we do, God, for your honor, for your glory, and for your praise. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, who allows us to be able to ask these things because he sacrificed himself for us and he paid the debt for our sin. Amen.